Welcome to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. Let me ask you a question. Do you enjoy helping other people? Do people keep coming to you for advice? Or maybe you keep finding yourself in career conversations. If you want to know what it really takes to become a career coach and help others pursue work they love by doing something that you love, well, then this is the podcast for you. We will be talking to experienced career coaches, exploring what it really means to be a career coach and how they were able to first get their start, the challenges they overcame, and many lessons learned along the way. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. I'm the CEO and founder of Happen to Your Career and the creator of the Professional Career Coach Training and Certification. Hey, welcome back to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. I am so incredibly excited today because I had the opportunity to connect with our our next guest here who's coming up. Got to hear her story directly from her, and I thought it was very compelling for her transition to becoming a career coach and moving into this world, helping people identify and make moves for what really is going to light them up or what creates a great career for them. And I thought you should hear her journey as well. So welcome to How to Become a Career Coach, Kathy Caprino. How are you? I'm well, Scott. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. And I, uh, you'll have to forgive me because as I said, I injured my back and the meds are kicking in, but I hope that makes for an even more fun discussion. But thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Here's what I'm super curious about, and I got to hear part of the story, but I don't know mm-hmm. if I got to hear the full story. Uh, what What did you do before you moved into career coaching in any capacity? Okay. Yeah, I tell the story a lot because a lot of people can resonate, but here yeah. we go. Here we go. Here we go. I, I'm going to go back to the childhood. No, I'm not, but <laughs> I would say this. I was an English major and I loved ideas and I decided, let me get into publishing so I took the first job that was offered, which was crap. It was a you know really low level marketing job, and I Scott I stayed in marketing and publishing and members membership services for eighteen years, and there were periods of it that I really liked. For seven years, I did market research for Macmillan Book Clubs that became yeah. something else, but loved that. But I would say for the vast majority of time, it was the wrong career with the wrong people doing the wrong things. Mm. And how I got into career coaching was circuitous, really. But it came after uh, being laid off after 9-11 yeah. in this way that was so brutal to me. And I hadn't been able to figure out what other, what am I passionate about? I mean, my gosh, I, I coach on this literally every day. What do I really want to do? If I won the lottery, what would I do, you know, in leaving this career? And I just couldn't figure it out, Scott. So I went to a career counselor and took a thousand dollars of assessment tests. And the guy comes out and says, good news. You're in the right job for yourself, for what you want. And I knew then (laughs) I'm like, if I'm in the right job, why am I sick? chronically ill, no work-life balance, sexual harassment, gender discrimination, narcissistic bosses. And I, I had this inkling that, wow, we need to bring new solutions to the table to help career people. But it was a long time before I ended up being a career coach. You want to know the segue to that? <laughs> I do want to know. So I, I'm super curious then what then led you down that path and, and what got to the point where it prompted you to make that decision to move into becoming a career coach. So a week after being laid off, I'm sitting in my therapist's office weeping. Yeah. And he says, I know from where you sit, this looks like the worst crisis you've ever faced. But from where I sit, it looks like you can, the first moment you can choose who you want to be in the world. And as most people I've ever coached, this is my answer. I don't know. (laughs) But I said, I want to be you. And he was a spiritual psychotherapist, but a great coach. And he said, what is that question? What does that answer mean to you? What do you mean? And I said, I want to help people, not hurt people and be hurt. And from that conversation, he said, you know, I've known you two years. I think you'd make a good therapist. And we talked about the therapy, marriage and family therapy training programs at two universities near me in Connecticut. I left there so supercharged. I went to the curriculum and looked and said, I don't care what happens. I got to get this degree. It's a master's degree. Yeah. And I took two courses, loved it. 
entered the program, passed with distinction, and I became a therapist. But Scott, the truth is, as I was in actually the internship dealing with rape, incest, pedophilia, suicidality, drug addiction, I thought, uh-oh, I don't want this. And then this it, I, three years later, still doing it, uh, I got a call from a client and I was sitting my kids down to dinner and the client said, I'm going to kill myself. Now I'm going to wrap my car around a tree now. And you know, when something happens and your head explodes or splits in half, one half of me went, I'm not equipped to deal with this and I don't want to deal with this. I don't know how, and it's too scary. The other half of me got into gear and we helped her with a team of people and she's much better now. But it came as a crashing crisis that I don't want to be a therapist now. And as I was a therapist, I had started taking coaching training, life coaching training. Yeah. And I thought coaching, while it's still helping people and you're still kind of in the fabric of their lives in a way, it doesn't have the boundary problems and it doesn't have the necessarily the darkness that the work I was doing, you know, had. So I got into career coaching because I started doing life coaching in my private practice. And the truth is, and I just talked about this in a webinar, how to know what your niche is. I would look on my calendar and there'd be the depressed person, the guy who uh, wants to kill his wife, you know, whatever. No, that wasn't coaching, but you know, relational problems. And I would see somebody on my calendar who had a professional career issue and I would always light up. And that would be the, the point where you'd rub like, your hands together and get excited about <laughs> Eureka. it. Eureka! Yeah. And then finally, I want to tell you, I said, gosh, I'd like to be a speaker too. I've never really done this. Let me try. And I developed a workshop on the professional crises working women face. And it was only 50 people, but I think half of them lined up afterwards crying and shaking. And they said, you're in my head. It's like you're reading my mind. And I realized then I need to do this work. And it's helping professional women overcome challenge and advance. And that's that's how it happened. But that was, so that's 13 years ago now. So it's been been a bit, but I'm, I'm very curious because I've had a similar moment for myself and uh, maybe not so coincidentally, it was also a workshop that I went and put on in one way or another where I was in front of a group and had that realization is like, I need more of this. I absolutely have to have more of this. I love that. What point did you start actually working with paid clients and what led up to that for you? Yeah, that's a really cool question. So, and I talked to coaches about this, but because I was a therapist, yes, I was really comfortable with the business of working with people and I had developed processes and procedures when I decided to morph into life coaching, I had made a mistake, I remember, um, and I there were a lot of therapists at the time moving over to coaching for the same reasons I was. Mm-hmm. And I remember what I did was advertise that I would, in my little list of 500 people, that was my little email list back then, just friends and colleagues, I said, you know, I've, I'm transitioning to being a coach and I would love to offer five new clients a pro bono four sessions. And I, I swear that filled in two days. And I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to make money <laughs> hand over fist. Well, pro bono clients are not the same as paying cli- paid clients. But um, I did that to to work the chops, so those 20 sessions, to yeah. feel like, could I be a coach? What is the difference between coaching and therapy? And it's funny. about a, a So I started getting a name locally a little bit. But because I had done the therapeutic work, I had also, I was more in the community. I was giving some training. So people kind of knew me as a marriage and family therapist. So it wasn't that much of a leap. But I want to tell you that if if there are any therapists out there listening, uh, about a year after that, I was at an ICF meeting. I, I also joined the ICF on the board in Connecticut and, and was communications kind of head for the board of the ICF in Connecticut. And that was amazing. Got to meet so many coaches. But I said to one who's a therapist coach, wow, I don't think coaching is that different from therapy. And she looked at me and she said, then you're not doing it correctly. (laughs) And it's taken me a long time, but I see an incredible difference. And um, I no longer do therapy and don't do, won't do therapy, but in in coaching, but I wear a therapeutic hat sometimes, meaning I'll say, and I will, I will easily refer people to 
the therapy providers. But if I feel I can do no harm and help them right there on the spot, I'll put on those therapy glasses and say, let me go deeper with you. Let's talk about it. But a lot of coaches aren't trained that way, so they don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, that answers a ton of questions. It also raises another question too, because this is something I encounter all the time in terms of what are some of the different roles that people can play and how they help. Because true coaching by definition can be completely different than what other people, uh, in fact, is completely different. Uh, let's call it pure coaching for just a moment versus therapy versus like consulting, consulting advising. Yeah. Right? And all of those can be completely different roles and completely different hats. However, um, you know, I think that can get into what people need at different times too. So really quick, what, what would you say are the biggest differences in your mind between let's use counseling and, or counseling or therapy, um, versus coaching to help people help our listeners understand. Yeah. And I want everyone to know I have my own version of it that works. And, yeah. and I do want to say something that I think is really important. Please. In every session, I will use every darn tool I have. If I'm going to be a mentor, I'll be a mentor. If I'm going to be a consultant but uh, or a coach, I don't do therapy, but I'm therapeutic. But I, I interviewed the co-founder of Coactive Coaching, one of the biggest training organizations for coaches in the world, I think. And I said, Karen, what do you think about the fact that I do all of that? And she goes, right on, sister. The only issue is, and I want to talk about therapy. Um, I don't do therapy in the session. But what she said is, and I think everybody needs to heed this. If I'm going to be a consultant, I'll say to you, Scott, you're my client. I really would love to tell you what I think about that and that being very directive and that's not necessarily coaching. I want to be a consultant, but could I put my consulting hat on? Are you okay with that? And what she said is what's not okay is if I tell you my idea and I want or need you to follow that, that's not okay. It's okay when you're presenting it as juice for the conversation so that they can push against it. But once you become the touted expert, you've blown it you've blown the coaching experience, I think. Meaning you've got to listen to me and I'm right and you have to do it my way. I mean, that's not coaching, that's consulting. So you have to be careful in creating the space with the client that they know that they can say, mm, that doesn't sound right for me and let me tell you why. But to me, the biggest difference between therapy and coaching and when I will refer out is therapeutic work is for when your ability to function and move forward on your own is impaired. And really, I think everybody on the planet needs therapy at one point or another. I mean, a lot of people think, well, I'm not in deep crisis. I don't need a therapist. You need, you need therapy if there's anything holding you back from functioning in the way emotionally, behaviorally, relationally, in the way you dream to. Therapy can get at the root of that and help you. And good therapy is behavioral and solution focused. It's, it's not come to me four times a week and we'll talk. I mean, I feel that that's unethical. I, I don't believe in that. I believe in helping my client fly and then they'll never need me. But where I will do some therapeutic work is, you know, I go very deep with people because I think most professional issues are personal issues. I was traumatized in childhood. I had a narcissistic dad. I was the middle child and always had to be the people pleaser. You know, all of that stuff will show up in your career. It is difficult to separate it out or think that it can be fully separated out if it's a part of you in one way or another. And, and I would go so far as to say you're not a good coach if you are trying to separate it out. They're not separate. They can't it's be. And that's what holistic. I think most, most career coaches do wrong. That's super interesting. I feel like we could have a probably seven hour conversation just on that <laughs> one point, but I have so many other questions that I want to ask you that I, I want to move on to. Maybe we'll come back sure. to that here in just okay. a little bit as well. Whatever, is, whatever works. Now, here's what I'm, I am also super curious about is you have a variety of different experiences built into your background and you... It moved through this, moved through this progression as you, as you came into a career coach. And just to recap really quickly, some of the things that I loved that I heard were, uh, one, you took some of your other experiences and looked at those as assets and in, in transition. And then you actually made slow transitions in some ways, I don't know whether we want to call it slow or, uh, maybe you, uh, you pivoted a couple of times in order to make Absolutely. a full turn. And Absolutely. 
And the other thing that I love that I heard in there is you took a couple of small experiments to say, hey, is this something I really want to dive into fully? You know, you sent sent out the sent out the emails for the the pro bono work and everything else along those lines too. And I absolutely love those parts because then it sounds like that allowed you to be able to determine, do I want to double down in this area? Do I want to, you know, go all in or however you want to put yes. that? Yeah. And I, you know, I have a model for change that I walk everyone through and it's five steps. So the fourth is try it on, try it on behaviorally, spiritually, financially, emotionally, anything. And truth is I took too long to make the decision that being a therapist wasn't right because I was in denial. Like you mean a $30,000 master's degree and that isn't, isn't the right direction. And it was the right direction. I'm absolutely thrilled that I got that because I use it every second of the day. But I waited too long because I, and I did that with my corporate career. I just wanted it to work out. And this is why people don't make change. <laughs> yes. Please universe, let what I work so hard to do work out. We just don't want to admit it. And I didn't. And so I waited Really, what I should have done is kept my hand in the marketing field as I was getting the master's. Mm. But what I didn't say is after I got laid off in a way that was pretty brutal, I got a settlement, actually, because I went to a lawyer and it wasn't copacetic. So uh, that settlement helped me get the master's and take some time off and just kind of regroup who did I really want to be in the world, you know? Yeah. So let me ask you a different question from that then, too. So what do you feel qualifies somebody? Mm. I'm intentionally using that word, even though I have a I have mixed reactions to that word for a variety of different reasons. Maybe you do too, but what do you feel like qualifies somebody to become a career coach? Because this is a question we get mm. asked all the time. All right. I'm going to first start with what does not qualify you. Please. Just a big heart with no training. Nope. Um, not knowing anything about career change. Nope. <laughs> Not understanding how people transform. Nope. So I would have, you know, I am, you know, you look at Karen Kimsey house talks about this, um, what you value. And there's a million uh, assessments about that, but I value rigor, intellectual pursuits, research. That's what I value yeah. uh, being a bona fide expert. So it really wrangles me when people let's say they're young, 25, they've not had a career and they want to help people through, let's say midlife career transition. Well, that, that comes to another issue. I truly believe, and I know the ICF doesn't like this. You can't coach anything and everything you can't, and you shouldn't, you should have a niche. You should work that niche. And I think it should be narrow and deep. And because, you know, I've done this so long with mid-career women and um, there's an assessment I asked them to fill out, which is 11 pages of questions I wish someone had asked me 30 years ago. And if I had answered them honestly, I wouldn't have made the mistakes I made. I read that thing and I know more about them than they know about themselves sometimes. So because there's been such deep experience in that, that qualifies me, I think, to help them because there's been outcomes that support that. So to your question, what qualifies you? You need to be trained as a top level coach, you need to turn yourself inside and out in that process. There's so many wounded healers, wounded consultants, wounded coaches, where in a way they're attracted to it so they can feel good about themselves. Um, you got to have done, you know, that was something therapeutic training did. I I had to turn myself inside and out. I had to look, I was even behind a two-way mirror. I was observed. Why did you ask her that question? Let me give you an example. My first client, you know, from my master's where I was being observed, she started crying. She'd been abused. I got up and handed her a tissue. When I got out of the room, that's what they criticized. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? That I handed her a tissue. And they said, don't make light of it. You're not comfortable with emotion. You cut off her crying. And I said, well, what would you have me do? Sit there. Give the space. Let the, yeah. uh, the, the tissue was there. She yeah. could have gotten it. So we have to turn ourselves inside out. Now, in terms of qualifications, there's a lot of bad coaching training programs. They're ineffective. They don't train you well enough. So find one that's very well, with a, a, you know, very well reputed, great renown, and they cost money. But 
you have to be trained. And to me, you have to understand what it is to change careers or pivot. You just can't come out of it not knowing anything about careers. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? I'm interested. Yeah. You know, I I love your perspective on this, first of all. And in our a lot of times we will call that your trial by fire in our professional career coaching training. And I firmly believe that you have to have gone through your own trial by fire in one way or another, especially as it relates to your career. And that can look different for everybody, but you have to have gone through some of those things because when you're there and you are trying to coach somebody through the emotion of negotiating for a higher salary or something else along those, like pick your, pick your challenge. And you have never done any of that. There is opportunity, even if you're not giving direction on it, there is opportunity to make light of it or to allow the client to settle in a variety of number of ways if you have not done the hard thing by going through some of those some of those difficult life situations yourself because you understand the emotion that goes into it you understand you know how people can get caught up you understand things at a, a semi unexplainable level that uh, that helps you to understand how they're going to behave as well and it's just very very difficult to do that without those types of experience again that's, I believe that the experience can happen in a variety of different ways, but without that trial by fire in in one way or another, it's going to be really hard to support a client. And then I believe that you do them a disservice and allow them to settle. I so agree with every word you said. And I would add this. So coaching training tells a lot of people you can coach anything. I'm going to tell you this, maybe you can do it in a mediocre way, but today people have to preserve their money. And who would you rather go to for a career coach? Someone who's changed her or his career yeah. themselves <laughs> and is a great coach? I mean, it, it, it's the law of, uh, you know, who's going to serve you better? And the other thing is when you're searching for a coach, people searching, it's global now. So they're going to go yeah. online. That's where they're going. Google search career coach for women or uh, career trainers, you know, as you are career coach trainers. And they're going to find the people that have risen to the top through thought leadership or their videos or their programs. So, you know, do yourself a service and become incredibly comfortable with what it is to change careers. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Absolutely love that. So in your mind, what gave you the confidence then to move mm -hmm. from some of that pro bono type work into paying work? And I think that can be a challenging thing for people to think about that confidence piece. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So I will say in some ways I have come to the table with some strong confidence. Yeah. In other ways, if you looked at how I was in my corporate life, I, I was, didn't have good boundaries, didn't know how to say no, perfectionistic over functioner. So I had some messed up things too, frankly, but I talk about confidence with people in this way. You don't come out of the shoot with confidence. <laughs> what? Hold on. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> it would be easier if it did, right? <laughs> yeah. So it takes doing the thing that you thought would kill you. Yeah. Doing the scary. That's how you get confidence. Do the thing you never thought you could do because then when you do it, you look back and say, if I can do that, I can do anything. And for me, yeah. honestly, that was therapeutic work. Mm. Sitting with a rapist, a pedophile. I got one call, my client, the mother of my client said, I'm sorry, he's not coming in. He tried to kill his girlfriend. He's in jail. I mean, it, with a gun, with a shotgun. And I sat there twice with clients. We had a, a police button yeah. under our desk. You know, I honestly felt like if I can do that, I can do anything. Now, not everybody's going to have that kind of experience, but you can build that in to your life. Do the scary thing. Go to Toastmasters, whatever it is. With the therapy, I, I saw that I had a way that was helpful to people. Where I didn't have the confidence is, what am I doing here? What What is, and now I know what it is. It's called a model for change. But my models for change, the how you intervene were therapeutic models. Mm. Salvador Mnuchin and you know famous marriage and family therapy luminaries. But I didn't have any for coaching. So, you know, it took me, I would say, 
two years to feel like I kind of really know what I'm doing over here. <laughs> and, and that's because, and this is another point I really want to make. I believe research is essential. And that is, you know, when I was writing my book, I wanted to write a book uh, on the professional women's challenges. And I thought I had all the answers and knew everything. And I went to a consultant, an editorial consultant, and she said, this is not your big idea. This is like a workbook and you need to research it. Hmm. And I was like, what? I don't need to research anything. And then the ne- <laughs> I know everything. And the next day I went, wait a minute. I used to do market research. Let me talk to a hundred women around the country who I don't know. So it's not a self-selected pool who faced professional challenges and overcame it. Scott, it was that one year that made me much stronger as a coach because I heard what their tactics were. I heard what their issues were and 50% of my hypotheses were wrong. So I would say to get confidence, definitely do research. Talk to people like the people who are your clients. Do a year-long research study of 100 people. How'd they overcome it? What did they do? And, you know, when you ask what makes someone stand out, it's, I think it's thought leadership. It's, you have something unique to say. And I felt like after doing that research study, it wasn't just me anymore. It was thousands of women's stories. And that allowed me to feel confident. You know what's something, well, maybe it's, I think it's interesting. You, you may also think it's interesting. You can tell me in a minute. However, something that I've observed is those people that have been very successful by their own standards in coaching, but also in some other areas too, those are the people that have gone and done things that are big and hard in some ways. And that sounds oversimplifying, but what you did in terms of going and talking to a hundred women, that is, that is, it's no small thing. Like let's, you know, call it what it is. Mm, and that makes me cry. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but can I make a corollary to that? Please. And I don't mean to sound um, self-aggrandizing, whatever the word is, but I do think when people do bold things, they become more brave. And that yes. bravery, find brave is my podcast, Finding Brave. That is inspiring. The energy of that. Yeah. You want to be with that. But I want to tell you, the way I did it was sending out this little email to my 500 little people. And I said, somebody asked me, well, what did you say? And I said, I am doing, I'm embarking on a study that looks at professional women's challenges, how you got there, how you overcame it. If you know anyone who would be interested, I would love to hear. I went and had a cup of coffee. I came back 10 minutes later and there were 50 responses. And this is 2006. When did the book come out? 2008, 2006. I mean, now we could get, you know, 500 likes on that on Instagram or whatever, but it took, bravery for me to hit send. Yeah. I was like, who am I? What am I doing? They're going to go, what is she talking about? And what do you mean research study? And uh, how long is it? Nobody asked a question. They're like, I don't even, somebody, many people wrote, I don't even know what this is. And I want to participate. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. So I think bravery begets bravery. And that, that energy is very contagious and people feel that. What do you think? Yeah, I was trying to decide in my head. I think totally agree with the energy piece and being attracted to those energies that are, whether it's bravery or whether it is something else that is desirable. I mean, we're attracted to that as human beings in one way or another, because that's something that we want for ourselves. So I have rarely found exception to that with those people that are doing those brave things or doing those things that other people would want for themselves or want imagine themselves wanting to do in one way or another or imagine the feelings that go along with that then those are the types of people that we're attracted to and those are the types of people that we want to work with but also i think that that what it takes to go through and do something like that and be declarative and have those you know brave actions that lead up to it are those things that prepare you for embarking on some type of journey like becoming a career coach I love what you're saying. And I have a tip about that. You know, I just interviewed John Maxwell, who um, he's so amazing. Uh, something like 80 books, millions of copies. Yeah, like 942 books or something along those lines. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so yeah. And I interviewed him. The guy is, the, and it's, it's on my podcast today. He's the nicest guy. 
And he said to me afterwards, that was so fun. We're pals now. What can I do for you? I just want to cry. Because at that level, you're so busy and so many people want your time. And he means it. He means what can I, because we talked about, all right, what would be helpful. But I think that generosity and just goodness of spirit Mm-hmm. is also so attractive. So like sometimes, you know, I'm at 900,000 followers on LinkedIn. And I say that because people see that number and they assume certain things. And some people come at me with their hand out. Like uh, they see, you know, maybe if I share something of they, what they're doing, it's going to get spread. And I get that. Uh, I mean, who doesn't look at that kind of thing? But other people, the energy of how they're coming towards me is yeah. so very different. It's generous, kind of like, you know, our, how you are. And, well, you, you. you know, when we talk, you're looking into my eyes, you're listening. You're not just thinking, where are you going to get over? And so I think it's all these qualities. I think I now know why John is at the top of top of the heap. And, you know, what he says, to your point, in the quote, one of the quotes we featured, he said, I wish people could have seen me when I was just starting out. He was a pastor. That's right. And I forgot about I that. I didn't know that. And yeah. And that was the other thing I want to share. If you want that kind of essence and you want that passion, think first of how you can be of service that makes you excited to be of service. It's really that simple. I don't think people can generate that kind of passion or following or impact if they're thinking about themselves all the time. Do you agree with that? I do. I think it would be really difficult to become a great coach, even a mediocre coach, <laughs> let's be honest, <laughs> if you are thinking about yourselves all the time, because your entire job is to serve others and put yep. them before yourself, quite frankly. So I think, yeah, so. uh, absolutely. Or, you know, I would, let me make sure I believe that statement. You know, I, I've been in the situation where I'm giving so much to somebody that I'm, oh, this was therapy for me. I would have yeah. to take a nap. That's not a good dynamic. I think you should get as much as you give in terms of your heart being filled. Mm. But to your point, if you're just sitting there thinking how great you are, or if it's all about you, I mean, in therapy, you're trained, make sure that what you're saying is for them, not for you. Ooh. And I, I see a lot of coaches, young coaches who want to get rich quick, want to be a thought leader and have a million followers on Instagram. And it's really about them. So that's that, I think, creates a really good distinction, what you just said there. Because what I heard from that is that you're putting, or I guess maybe how I internalize that, maybe even for myself, is that when you are putting them first, you are also getting something back from that. And I think that that intersection, like I almost have a Venn diagram in my mind, Ooh, that intersection yeah. where... You know, when we're talking about coaching and particularly as a career coach, when you have that dynamic, when giving to them is good for you, that's really, I believe, where it's at. And those are the people who, mm. one, who recognize that, two, who act on that because it's not always easy. And then, you know, where it, that is happening, that's, that's what creates an amazing career coach in my mind in some ways. Oh, that's beautifully put. I can't wait to read more, you know, have that distilled as a tweetable. But I will say this, because I work with women, yeah, many of us, millions of us don't have the boundaries we need to, and we don't have the boundaries men have. And so sometimes we give so much of ourselves uh-huh. or it's so about, I got to make sure I have value give value. Like here's a tip. I used to, my sessions would be 45 minutes or an hour. I'd run over all the time. Why? Because really I didn't think I was given, I wasn't sure I was given enough value. Yeah. So you do have to be incredibly careful that giving to others doesn't mean you can't say no to someone. I've had clients who are, you know, trying to yell at me because they didn't get the job interview or, and I'm now I, my boundaries are good now. Now I'll say, you know, I don't ever want to get an email from you that is like this. And I'll tell you why. And if you want to have a conversation about it, we'll have a conversation. But I'm not going to be on the receiving end of, of an abusive email. Yeah. That means our, our sessions are done. And I say it, you know, with love in my heart. But years ago, I didn't know how to speak up for myself or stand up for myself. So 
that's just important for women on the call because uh, I think men are just better at it. I don't know why, neurobiologically, who knows why. But you don't want to give so much that you don't know where you end and the other person begins, you know? So on that note then, it sounds like that was maybe one hard thing for you, but what do you believe was the hardest thing for you yeah. as a coach or becoming a career coach? So when I was just doing one-on-one coaching, there was an ease to that because I was in my zone. Yeah. But then I wanted to make more money and one-on-one coaching tends to keep you stuck at around $30,000 or $50,000 unless you're an executive coach where you could be paid a lot of money, a lot of money and companies are paying you and you're doing one-on-one. But I, for reasons I won't bore you with, I love when people reach out to me directly and they vetted me directly. It's not their boss saying, go work with Kathy. Yes. The hardest thing then is to realize that today being a coach is an entrepreneurial venture and it's an online business. There we go. You won't make money if you don't embrace that it's an online entrepreneurial venture. (laughs) Would you agree with that? I I would agree with that. I... Who's laughing? <laughs> I'm laughing for so many reasons that we we don't have time for, but the biggest of which is it one, it's true, but two, I think that some people when they first start thinking about this, think, okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna do this locally because I love in-person impact. And I think that that thought is great. But I think also, like I live in I live in Moses Lake, Washington. Moses Lake, Washington has 35,000 people. We've had one client maybe from 30 from Moses Lake Washington most of right. our our clients for our business are all over the world right. and quite frankly i think that that is so much better because we get to work with the types of people that we feel that we can help the best and are the most fun for us to work with and nothing against Moses Lake Washington i love where i live however these people are all over the world not in Moses Lake Washington right. so i mean i would say if you say you want to do it locally, you're going to have to think again. Yeah. You will never, ever, ever fill your pipeline locally. Never. One-on-one, one-on-one. Yeah. And that isn't how people are going to look for a coach. So Moses Lake, Michigan, you said? Moses Lake, Washington. Washington, right. Other side of the U.S. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're gonna. They want to go to a career coach. They're gonna Google career coach, and if it's in Finland or Stanford, Connecticut or Rome, Italy, that's who they should go to. That's another thing. When coaching kind of burst on the scene, we were doing it in person. Mm-hmm. Now I don't see my clients in person. I see them on Zoom. I meet, and it's funny. When I was a therapist, it's all it was all in person. But now therapists are uh, doing it on Skype and Zoom. And then when I went to coaching, went to coaching and was thinking it had to be done one on one. Many people said, "I don't do my coaching in person." And I'm like, "What?" And now you know it's so much more effective, and there's no downside to effective in terms of your time. I don't have to drive anywhere. They don't have to drive anywhere. We just go on zoom and there we are. So if, if you're thinking you just want it local, you're probably not going to make a living that you want to make. I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. How has it shaped your life to be a career coach? And what, what are, what are some of the biggest ways that it's really shaped your life? So to answer that, I would have to say that I have multiple revenue streams. So that, feed me being a coach, but here's what I'm going to say. I am a career coach at heart, but I'm also a Forbes contributor and a LinkedIn person and, um, speaker, trainer, leadership, whatever, all of that. You know, somebody yesterday on my webinar said, yeah, but my life coach says that's going to bring on an identity crisis. And I said, "Mm -mm, hogwash. I love having multifacets and different streams because one day if I'm doing one-on-one coaching, I'm tired. Uh, that makes me tired. The next day I'm writing a Forbes post. The next day I'm interviewing you or John Maxwell. Yeah. So I see myself as a career coach with many different ways of being of service. Like if I can't write, I get sad. Writing to me is like <laughs> a bodily function. That's gross. I didn't mean to say that, <laughs> but I've got a right Truth to be happy. <laughs> I love it. So I 
I view all of that yeah. as part of what I'm doing. And my gosh, all I can say is from going, that's why I wrote my book, Breakdown Breakthrough, The Professional Woman's Guide to Passion, Power, and Purpose. I had no passion, no power, and no purpose for 18 years in my career. And it's a mind and soul deadening experience for me. So every day I pinch myself, uh, honestly, like I cannot believe, like, like, can I just say this? A high school girl, woman, young woman wrote me yesterday and said, I'm from Blip High School. And she didn't even say the state, but I looked it up and I know what state. And she said, for English, we have to do a paper on comparing ourselves to others. And we're supposed to talk to an expert. And, you know, she obviously Googled that and I've done four posts on that and a video and a podcast. And she said, you know, I would be so appreciative if you could answer these questions. And there were six brilliant questions. I know I wasn't thinking that deeply at 16. You know, that made my day week year Yeah, that I can talk to because my kids are just past that age, 21 and 24, but that I can give her my thoughts. And that's because I'm a career coach, you know? Yeah. I love how you're thinking about it in terms of those things work together collaboratively. And it's not, because I understand, I understand how somebody could draw the conclusion of, oh my goodness, that's going to give you like multiple personality disorder or whatever you draw from that. However, one, I'm in the same boat and don't experience that. And I absolutely love it. And to your point, it really does seem as though they feed each other. The only thing that is right about that comment is, you know, being a senior contributor on Forbes, when people read my articles, they don't know I'm a career coach. I have a bio at the end, which I'm allowed to have, yeah. but who reads those bios? So the identity crisis part is they will think of me as a writer about career issues and they'll reach out and they won't know. People will say, your post on the six undeniable signs I have to leave this job was so great. Do you know who could help me with that? I'm like, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I sure <and> do. So, <laughs> I do. <laughs> so, you know, is that a crisis? No, I just have to educate them that I do that work. Yeah. Um, and it's not for everyone to write, speak, train, and do 50 other things. Some other people, their head would explode. It's too much. You have to find your own balance and your own passions. So speaking of all of that and finding finding your own balance, your own, you know, your own path for all intents and purposes, if you had to do this over again in one way or another, <laughs> and you had three months to start your business and get into career coaching instead of months or years that it, that it might normally take what would you what would you do and what would you advise somebody to do yeah and you know i i find that a hard question to answer scott because it's intentionally I don't think, <laughs> yes it's not a 3 month journey so uh, this is not quite what you're going for but i would say and i took some notes on just um what is the most important thing yeah I think that you have to do the groundwork about who you want to serve and what great coaching is and how you want to do it. I think you have to develop an entrepreneurial mindset, embrace that you're going to be doing sales and marketing and back-end stuff, or you're going to have to hire someone. There's a preparedness gene you've got to have. You've got to be prepared for what it is to bring yourself to market. You got to have support. You're going to have to have a, a website. You're going to have to have a shopping cart. You know, people aren't going to send you checks now. They're using their debit or Venmo or PayPal, right? And you need a funnel, really. And this is a sales thing, but you need to build a list so that your pipeline can fill. If you know only 30 people, you're going to go broke coaching. So you have to build your network and community. And to do that, you have to put out a lot of free content. Because people will never spend a cent with you if they don't know, like, and trust you. So that's why there's so, and, and that's a conundrum. There's so much free help, like on your site and mine, you could spend a hundred hours and get oh, a yeah. master's in career change. So a lot of people go, God, I need help. So let me read seven books. Uh, but that isn't the help you need. You need outside help really to, to help see you the way you really are and what needs to change. But um, long winded thing, three months have the groundwork laid. Don't come out of the shoot not knowing any of these things, not knowing who you want to serve, not knowing. And, and here's another thing. If you put out that I can help you change careers, but you've never helped someone change careers, you have nothing to unique to say. People 
hire you because you've said something in a video FaceTime live or on LinkedIn or on your own blog that says, holy cow, this person gets me. So if you have no thought leadership or no way to bring something unique, you will really flounder. Oh, here's another thing. Transition. If you're in a corporate job, don't leap and quit your job and start as a coach from ground zero. Transition to it. For um, your perspective, what would be the biggest thing to consider about when the time is right to transition for somebody individually? I would say make it at least a year transitional phase. Do the website, do your research, start writing, start having some pro bono clients on the side, keep your, keep your corporate job until, so you have to figure out how much, what is the funding you need? If you make 150,000 a year, you're not going to make that. You know, some coaches never get there, but they certainly don't get there in three months. Um, So how are you going to fund it? Get some family support for this. Start your website start researching everything you can that's going to mil- allow you to say something different. Um, create a freebie that's a funnel that you can build your list. But the gosh, Scott, are you like me? I get about 50 requests to join someone's tele-summit every three months. <laughs> and because that's what these marketing people are telling them to do, just do a tele-summit, hire, get five experts, and they'll share, and you'll share their list, and you'll make, mil- you know, it'll be great. no. Because if, if, even if you get 5,000 names on your email list, what are you doing for them? What are you going to reach out every week with nothing? You still have to have content. So do all of that, get your pro bono clients. And then we didn't talk about money. I'd love to talk about money. Let's talk about that. Okay. You got to be good with money and you got to know your money story and you got to get empowered with your money. Most people I work with, primarily women are not. Um, and that means no, every penny, what's coming in and what's going out, what do you really need in the next year? What are you going to need to build this business? Where are you going to get that money? And then when you start charging, that's a whole other thing. I remember I was $75 at first. Then I wanted to go up to 150. Then I decided 250. And I swear I would cough up a hairball when I said it. Like I'd start <laughs> coughing. I'm, I'm like, I'm 200. <laughs> what? I'm 200, <laughs> $250. Um, it's not easy to assign a value and to what you do and support it and not cave the first minute someone says you're too expensive. So do all that work and do it for a year and work out the kinks because you're going to have kinks. Tell me what you think. I think that you're right about money such an interesting one. And we could do five other podcasts just on money alone. And probably not even barely hit the tip of the iceberg. iceberg. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it really, I think we've developed this um, process we call the stair step method. And Mm. it is, I think people have to go through some variation of that because of what we talked about for confidence earlier. Like confidence, you don't just have confidence coming out of the gate. And people have so many hangups about money and value and understanding have confidence about what they can deliver in terms of results too. So all these get tangled up. And I think that one of the best ways that I've found to move through that is exactly what you did where you're edging upwards, you know, stair step after stair step. And that really helps you get to where you want to go over sometimes a relatively short period of time um, as you're moving it up with each client and each increased amount of value that you deliver. So one, love that. Two, um, I'm curious, what do you what do you see as the biggest hang up you had about money? And what did you do about it? Here it is. I didn't struggle too much with, you know, now I'm basically 500 an hour. What I struggled with is this. I don't just want to serve wealthy people. That doesn't make me happy. Um, But my time is of a premium now. So for me, the struggle was, how do I serve everybody I want to serve on the planet? But how do I not, I don't want to work every minute of the day. I mean, I already have a back sprain and it's bad sitting here at the desk. Um, I want other things in my life. So how do I generate the money I want, uh, when my time is a premium, how do I serve not just wealthy people? Um, and also 
for me, it has been, how do I articulate the value of, of what I'm charging so that I feel a hundred percent good with it? That took me years, took me years. And, uh, you know, to answer that question, I put out so much free content and that's really the only way I could sleep at night. I don't want to just be someone that serves wealthy people. That, that feels wrong to me. But it has been me negotiating, you know, someone will say you're too expensive and that doesn't make me shudder anymore. It may, used to make me cringe, um, but I get I'm expensive, but I feel like um, the rest, somebody told me a story. What was it? It's a story that Monet painted, you know, someone's uh, profile picture or something and, and then charged a lot. And they said, where, where do you get off charging that? And he said, because I'm bringing 30 years of my experience to this painting. And I feel that that, that really resonates with me. Um, but it, it's been around negotiating, how do I serve the people I want to serve? How do I make the money I want to make? And, and how do I scale? That's the other issue. I, the conundrum is how do you scale transformation? The other challenge for me is I'm really good one-on-one Mm-hmm. in that I can sense in about three minutes where your power gap is and help you close it. Bing. But scaling that is challenging. I feel like, um, one, you've delivered so much, and I so appreciate you being very, very transparent. And we- My pleasure. We, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I feel like we could have 19 other podcasts from <laughs> from things that it's opened up to. So Good. maybe at some Wonderful. point we'll have to have you back on here and talk about some of these other issues as well. But I, I really appreciate you taking and making the time. And it means a lot for you to come on and share your story and some of what you think, because I absolutely respect what you have done and built over the last number of years here. And I know that our listeners are going to benefit tremendously from it. So thank thank you you so much. I hope it was helpful and it was so fun, Scott. Thank you. I really appreciate your time as well and everything you're doing for your community. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode on how to become a career coach. Go to howtobeacareercoach.com to sign up for our 14-day email series that takes you through step-by-step everything you need to become a career coach and find out how it could be possible for you. 